The Archetypal Tarot Podcast explores universal human patterns, called archetypes, by investigating the major arcana of the ancient tarot. We recognize these archetypes because they are present in our own life stories, myths, and culture. Each card represents a stage of the journey for understanding the greater story of our lives. Hi, and welcome to the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. My name is Julianne Javot, and I'm a consultant who specializes in working with archetypes. And with me is Sundara Quackenbush, a tarot consultant here in San Francisco. So to get us started, we are going to be talking about the third Uh, The fourth card in the tarot, card number three, the fourth card, which is the Empress, the Mother and the Queen. And so, Sundara, um, it looks like you've got a couple of really interesting copies of this card. Do you want to start by describing what's on them? Uh, Yes, I'll do that. And uh, I would recommend to our listeners to get out your closest deck or look on the tarot website tarotdreamstone.com to take a look at the empress along with us because images can be very stimulating for the imagination Uh, but just to describe in a verbal way for this podcast we're looking at the empress and she's seated here on a throne this is in the rider weight deck and she's pictured outside so she's among the elements she's under the sky she has stars that decorate her crown she's surrounded by trees and also by what looks like a very rich harvest around her maybe some golden wheat or grass is at her feet Ah, which rhymes. Excellent. <laughs> and so uh she's she just looks very happy out here under the sun and just very she's wearing a loose garment so she's very comfortable and relaxed uh she's pictured as a younger woman uh very beautiful and also has a shield near her side that has the symbol often recognizes the feminine symbol also the symbol of venus the planet and as we'll explore she has this great connection to this goddess and the all of the potentials and creative potentials surrounding this archetype and we're going to explore all of those different options where would you like to start julianne let's recap a little bit of where we are with a with this archetypal journey through the tarot the tarot being this methodology this set of symbols that's been used for hundreds and hundreds of years. You can look at it as a card game. You can look at it as a divining tool. Um, The way I take a look at it is mythology. Um, Each card has a set of stories, and it it seems that the major arcana especially represent a journey, a hero's journey from card zero, which is the fool, all the way through the 22nd card of the tarot, which I forget right now. What is the last of the major arcana? Oh, all the way to the world? Yeah, the yeah. world. The world it. card, yeah. Right. Which is a symbol <laughs> of the completion of the journey and and the fool being able to reach wholeness at the end of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've, in this podcast, we've talked about the fool sort of falling into his journey almost by accident or by a mistake, meeting up with the magician and getting some tools and doing some learning, um, and then running into the high priestess, which we 
spoke to the last podcast that we did, correct? Yeah, that's right. And and it's it's interesting that these two cards are juxtaposed to each other, that we have this throned, powerful, feminine card in the last card, and that we've got another one here. So it can be confusing, or it can be tempting to confuse the two of those, so it's great to have some clarity there. And as we explored in the High Priestess card, she's more indoors, she's part of a, a sacred temple. Um, whereas the Empress, she's outdoors, and she's more seen in the sense of the, well, as the Empress, as a, a sort of queen or mm -hmm. ruler type. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there's some other di differences as well. Namely that the High Priestess, I would say, very much had her connection to the feminine symbol of the moon and something that was for coming from above. Whereas the empress in, that we see in this card is really worldly, and she gets her creative wisdom from the earth, from things that are natural around her. Yeah, there definitely is some big differences when I see that, when I think of the priestess, the priestess archetype being very, very different from the empress who, and I'll, I'll just say this now, I see as being both mother and queen. Mm -hmm. And we can get into a little bit more of that in a bit. But the um, you don't think of the priestess as being very motherly. You look at the card mm -hmm. and you read about the priestess archetype. They're not the type to come down off their, their little chair on the temple to give you a hug. Whereas when I see the, um, the representations of the Empress card, mm. um, <clears throat> there is something very mother motherly and encouraging with the images and with the idea of the mother. Big difference between kind of the two. Yeah, you um, feel like you could go cuddle up in, in the Empress's lap a little easier based off this image and the, that feeling. I definitely feel that. Yeah. And as a stage of a journey, what, what do you think your first impression coming from, to recap, the High Priestess, which is this calling upon your intuition and your inner knowing, you show up at the doorstep of the Empress. What, what do you think in terms of the archetypal stage of the journey that, that this is about? Hmm, that's a really great question, and I see the the fool is still early on in his journey, and he's meeting some of the most important and powerful mentors, guides, figures in this first row, which we can talk about later. How you set up the tarot cards to see the journey. There's really three rows that you can set them in, in equal amounts of cards, hmm. and this top row is he's meeting some very very important individuals. And having just come from the High Priestess, uh, who leaves a lot of mysteries veiled, he comes to the Empress with an ability to have his ideas nourished and mothered. Or, or maybe he himself needs to be nourished and mothered. This is, this is that archetypal mother card mm -hmm. where, you know, whatever this new fragile thing that he's trying out can be placed in a fertile place and, mm, yeah, looked over and cared for. The mother loves everything. That's know? right. Only a uh, face only a mother can love kind of, kind of situation. That That's totally right. That totally makes sense. And so many of us have different experiences with our mothers, but I, I think I was fortunate in my childhood to, you know, be able to play in lots of different ways, and mom was there to go, oh, great, we're playing and we're having fun, things are being created. It wasn't so much about the result, is this good or bad? It was about just this fertile place to try things out. You bring up something really important about about many archetypes, but I think the mother and the father especially, the mother being probably the world's most well-known archetype. Um, mm -hmm. I, I tend to, when people ask me what I do, and 
I mentioned that they go archetype. And so oftentimes I'll use something as um, well-known and as, or as common as um, the mother. And people immediately kind of go, oh, right, I get it. That's this pattern. It represents this behavior, these ideas. But what can also happen, and usually does uh, naturally, is you associate the archetype with your own experience of that archetype. And for some people, that might not be so great. They might have mm -hmm. had their actual mother not model the archetypal mother behavior. And, you know, that's unfortunate. And they get kind of, a, they associate the archetype with only it, it only ever being the way that they knew, which oftentimes either is the shadow mother or it wasn't the mother archetype at all. But we all have an instinct of what the mother and the father archetype should be. Mm -hmm. And so that can be kind of tricky. And in terms of my work and the, the archetype itself, a lot of it is just looking at what it is in terms of its global interpretation and trying to pull back from your own personal associations with it to sort of, you know, to get that, that slightly higher up view to understand what it's about. Right. And this is probably a great time to reflect and mention that these archetypes, even though they might take on a female per personification that we're not necessarily talking about a literal female force or, you know, uh, that the mother archetype can be moved through or be patterned around in, in within the male psyche as well. Absolutely. Um, and we, I think we tend to touch on this pretty frequently because it can get really confusing um, because we will, because <clears throat> people identify with their gender, masculine or feminine, that archetypes, they'll, they'll have a tonality to them that is oriented to the masculine or the feminine, which in and of themselves are archetypes. So the mother, the father, the high priestess, the fool, we will mention a, we'll have to use, we choose a pronoun because the innate nature of that archetype does have that masculine or feminine um, tonality to it, but it certainly doesn't have to be only women can have the mother, only men can have the father. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, I think in really balanced people and in balanced psyches, people can imbue both. And so let's talk a little bit more about the mother because I think that can be, it's such an important role that, and I have a lot of um, men clients who identify in a very masculine way that the understanding of this, it's like the ultimate feminine in terms of archetypes, that that is, that is a part of their nature as well. And it's the nurturing, uh, the, you, when you think of the mother in the light aspects, it's nurturing, it's caretaking, it's creative freedom. And like we mentioned earlier, loving something that maybe isn't so pretty to the outside world. It's unconditional, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I guess to me, this part of the stage is bringing something that isn't coming from the high priestess, bringing the ideas or the plans to a nurturing place where you can be vulnerable and know that you're protected by that mothering energy and kind of get creative and make mistakes and not have to start judging it or forming it into anything specific. Does that kind of jive with your experience of this card? Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm reflecting a lot on, on this for the fool's journey. So being able to begin to try things out in, in the real world in a safe place where it's fertile. Uh, so he receives sort of divine inspiration maybe from the high priestess. And with the empress, he's able to go, okay, so let's start planting these seeds and seeing how it comes out and grows and how much sunlight and uh, how much nourishment is, is enough. So yes, I, I definitely jive with that. And the mother um, is definitely bringing something to life. 
It's fostering life, protecting it, making sacrifices for, you know, her creations. So there might be something in terms of a hero's journey. There might be a bit of that, of dropping one plan in favor of like, okay, I'm really excited about this and working to bring it into to fruition. Yeah, there's a huge emphasis here on the creative process. There's not a huge concern about the result and just creating, creating, creating. And, and what you, the image that you can have here is just a, like of a, a lush garden of things, just growing all different kinds of things growing and just all over the place. Things are not being pruned back or organized yet, which is something we'll see in the stage of the process in the next card, the emperor. Mm -hmm. But we're just, we're not worried about the result here. We're just going for it and creating and, and being free with that creation. It sounds very organic, which really, really makes a lot of sense with the lighter aspects of the mother, where there's just this sort of, like you were mentioning earlier about your mom, but like the freedom to go play and go, oh, you really need to take the pots and pans into the garden. That's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, that mm -hmm. sort of like go ahead and that, that motherly appreciation of her creations. So if if we're modeling this in terms of a person who's following their calling or they've been inspired to follow a dream or to do something, to make something, this can be that mothering part of the stage where you're just like, you know what, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm just going to love it. I'm just going to appreciate it. We don't, I think in our Western world, not to, you know, it's the one I live in, so it's the one I, <laughs> the one I can criticize. I don't think we tend to really give a lot of time to this mothering stage of something that's important to us, or we do it in drips and drops, because it seems like sort of a sidebar thing. We, we get stuck on producing and producing and producing and getting it out there and marketing it and branding it. But I think it's important to see a stage that will yes. feed all of the rest of that, to have it, you know, get enough nutrients at this stage where you're caring for it to have it be strong enough to go on to the next stages of the journey. I guess you could also fall into the under the trap of over-nurturing it and never getting it out the door. That's right, which is <laughs> something we'll definitely address with the, what the shadow side of the mother mm -hmm. is, being unable to let go. But you're absolutely right in carving that time out. How many artists do you know that have you know, that, that need to have a result or have something, something perfect that, that invades the consciousness and you cannot create in that sort of stark <laughs> mindset. Right. You, you just cannot be fertile there. That's just the way it is. Yeah. There, it's such a tiny space that, that one can try to put their project into too early. So it seems to me like the, the, the highest value of this card, the lightest aspects of the archetype of the mother is creating that space, that openness, that freedom to be vulnerable, to make mistakes, to know that there's an evolution going on versus trying to make it something um, that you've got your mind hooked onto. And you mentioned, I think that's a really good point to the shadow of the mother archetype is there's a lot of different sort of shadow aspects, one of them being that smothering mother, <laughs> the keeping keeping the mother hen, keeping too close, not letting the child actually go out and experience things for themselves, becoming too controlling, being demanding, you know, the, the uber mom, the uber soccer mom who has like a, a PDA for their two-year-old already and planning everything out. And that's that's the shadow side of the mom where there isn't that freedom and that sort of space to grow and nurturance it's it's regimented it's got too many um strictures on it and how many and that's like the opposite 
extreme problem that an, an artist or a creative person might have too is is that how many do, keep their little project in, indoors the whole time and, and they need to keep working creating before it, and it never gets out there right so yeah yeah it's not very mothering at all it's it's obsessive mm. and I think you know most most women that I know clients friends can can really identify with that perfectionist part of the mother where you don't feel kind of kind of up to the task in a way where you in a way turn masculine and you become a perfectionist because I think that's in terms of masculine and feminine it's the masculine it's the perfectionist because there's a set of uh, it's it's about doing and it's rigid Whereas mm-hmm. the feminine archetypally is being receptive, mm-hmm. is about community, is about, you know, it's represented by the circle versus the masculine's the arrow. So That's right. yeah. to look at it that way is like to go, oh, wow, you're not honoring the feminine nature of the idea or the project by being a perfectionist. Mm. And it's just frankly not very pleasant. <laughs> to be it's just not for the person themselves who's working with it and then everyone around them. They don't feel that loving nurturance that they, you know, that they want from another person because there's a lot of criticism embedded in perfectionism. What are some manifestations of the shadow mother have you seen in film, Julianne? You're such the film buff. No, I love movies. Uh, It's a big part of sort of my enjoyment and I I work with my clients with movies as well. So I was, there's a number that I thought of just thinking about the mother archetype and I had to kind of pick the ones I like. And so um, I think a really brilliant example of many aspects of the mother is a film by Pedro Almodovar, who's a Spanish filmmaker. He's got a film that he made kind of in honor of his own mother called All About My Mother. Um, it is, it's, it's in Spanish, but it's, if anyone's interested in looking into the archetype of the mother from a lot of different perspectives, it's a really brilliant film bit of a tearjerker but (laughs) it's not a film you feel kind of manipulated watching like they're trying to get me to cry it's just really really beautiful and um, each of the main characters do take on aspects of the mother archetype including a transvestite man (laughs) so I mean it covers the gamut Um, it's a really really beautiful film Um, I also thought of films uh, like Stepmom, another tearjerker, but it really, it was an interesting film in terms of Susan Sarandon is, you know, she's dying of cancer and her ex-husband's new wife is played by Julia Roberts. I mean, it sounds kind of hokey in a Hollywood way, but it, I rewatched it recently and I saw this highest part of the mother archetype played by Susan Sarandon where she is, she has every reason to sort of resent this younger woman, but she is in a way teaching her how to be a mother to her children. And that's um, both tragic and beautiful. So in, in terms of the path of the mother archetype, I thought that was a really good example. Some other favorite ones, Incredibles, the Pixar film, Love the Love Way the Mom. <laughs> Love the Way the Mom is portrayed in that film. That was Holly Hunter. Um, Diane Weist, her playing the mom in Edward Scissorhands, another great example of sort of this like innocent mom she sort of is adopting everybody so it's a beautiful example and one of my all-time favorite movie moms is Frances McNormand in Almost Famous and I might talk about this again when we talk about the father archetype but um she just has a kind of a small role in that film but it's great so much fun to watch of course we have to talk about shadow mommies those awful controlling horrible (laughs) moms 
Faye Dunaway in Mommy Dearest, um, incredibly evil, just basically the epitome of of evil moms. She did a brilliant job of it. And then uh, last but not least, in a very humorous, satirical film about the uber mom, made, I believe, in the early 90s, is a movie called Serial Mom. And it's Kathleen Turner. Uh, It's a John Waters film, and it's ridiculous. It's dark, but it really kind of shows the, like, dark side. It's basically Kathleen Turner plays this perfect mom, and but she's a serial killer. She murders people for wearing white shoes after Labor Day and (laughs) just proper. Um, So it's ridiculous. But, you know, it's a good example of, of just how a really brilliant, wonderful, loving archetype can go very, very, very bad. So... That's Julianne's little movie bit about the mother archetype. Oh, good. Thank you so much. It's, it's great to watch these films, uh, either for the first time or again, through the lens of understanding this archetype. Because film is just a dynamic way to do it, whether you're tear-jerking or not. Right. Well, there's nothing yeah. wrong with a few tears. It's oh, definitely. The heart. I think the Empress approves of tears. I think the tears. Empress would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, to talk a little bit about something I'm passionate about, which is uh, mythology. Uh, we mentioned earlier that the we have the Venus symbol here, or the Aphrodite, a connection to Aphrodite with the Empress. So in the way that we see this, we just see a woman here surrounded by natural beauty, and it, it just brings up that topic of that Venus or Aphrodite essence of loving, appreciating, and cultivating beauty. So uh, I was picked up for the first time, ashamedly, I probably should have read this earlier, but this this was so exciting because I found it in the the free bin of the local bookshop that I love. And uh, so reading a little bit this weekend, Goddesses and Every Woman, uh, A New Psychology of Women by Jean Shinoda Bolin. And so if you haven't read this book, like I didn't last week, I would definitely pick it up. It's a wonderful way to look at archetypes and and especially how these very strong female archetypes can play themselves out. And so Aphrodite or Venus really connects in with the Empress and uh, what Bolin would describe an Aphroditic consciousness or an Aphrodite consciousness, being able to bring a, a perspective of love and beauty to all kinds of things in the world. So if you're, even to ordinary, everyday things, there's always that gaze of being able to find what's beautiful in life. Uh, And this can be a very intoxicating experience when you come into contact with someone who can see either you or see your project with a lot of love and light. And uh, to quote Bolin, women as well as men need to be able to imagine that their dream is possible and have another person look at them and their dream with growth-enhancing Aphrodite consciousness. Uh, and so I really see this as the, the chance for the fool with whatever his, his or her, her mission is, whatever it is that they're seeking for, under the gaze of the Empress, there is this growth-fulfilling opportunity. 
and we we need someone we either need to play that part for ourselves which is often who it's left up to and it's very difficult to hold that on our own mm-hmm. um, but if we can find someone in our life that that can be there for you to say yeah i believe in this project with you and and i'm there to work with you through this whether it's a friend or your partner or an archetypal consultant or tarot <laughs> consultant to to believe in in your project with you someone outside of yourself uh, it can be a really important stage of the journey, finding that outside support. Someone to keep you accountable as well, too, mm-hmm. to carve out that space. And this was the big question, returning back to, you know, how does one carve out this time when we want to jump into, when our society has us jumping too early to finding results and so mm-hmm. forth? How, how is it that we can find this time? Um, have you had pr- specific experiences with clients or, or maybe um, personal experience? H- how does one do this particularly? Well, first I'll say that because it is such an expectation that you not only have an idea, but just get going on it and get out there and start start productizing it or bringing it out to the world, that to, to know that that temptation is always going to be there, I don't know that that necessarily will go away. Again, mm-hmm. it depends on your community and what support systems you have in place and whether they, they're kind of under that spell of having to move it forward immediately. So just kind of understanding that that'll always be there. But mm-hmm. um, a part of the work that, that I do is to, to recognize an archetype, to <clears throat> start to be conscious of the patterns working in one's, one's life. And then understanding what they might mean for you. So the mother, the empress, is that stage. If you recognize this archetype as a stage, and that's completely necessary. And that it's not less important than anything else. And that taking that time to, you know, that that mothering, nurturing, seeing it with loving eyes, giving it space, is just as important as anything else. And to keep reminded of that, one could develop dare I say rituals, um, without sounding too woo-woo. Um, you can call it anything you want, but basically anything that will help you bring that energy. If you know that that's what you need at this stage and that you're going to be tempted to go and try to get it all like produced and out there without giving it this nurturing time, create a space or a ritual or an idea to bring you back to that energy where you can go, Hey, you know what? I don't need to bring this out into the world right now. I'm giving this creative freedom. If Mm -hmm. there are certain, you know, classes that you can take that can help encourage that or to put, you know, to put a loving boundary around it. Like I have two months, I'm going to give myself two Mm -hmm. months Mm -hmm. to not even begin to worry about producing it in terms of what the outside world is two months to just look at it every day like a mom would look at their child and go oh like a book I have a lot of clients who are working on books we just look at it like a mom would be like oh look at you with all that oatmeal love all over your face (laughs) aren't you cute (laughs) but really loving it and really just sort of playing with the ideas and being creative instead of just rushing out to to you know create all the structure around it yeah, which is right, also really really necessary yeah and which is the the necessary next stage after this right when we we just, uh talk about the emperor and uh and there's there's something and you brought up a really good 
connection, which is the presence of community. And the empress is also the networker, and she's extroverted, whereas the high priestess was introverted. Mm-hmm. So she has a way of letting things go out and play without being... Um, she's nurturing and protective, but not, like, she's not an introverted individual. She's she's helping to go, yeah, go out and play under the sun where people can see you. Maybe that some fresh seeds will blow in from the wind from from talking to other people and maybe some connections for your project will come up in networking and speaking with people so she's very much a community presence Mm -hmm. which leads us into sort of the next uh, archetypal realm which is who is this empress what does it mean that she's uh, also a ruler she's Mm -hmm. also a mother of a community or of a or even the state and this brings us of course to the archetype of the queen dare we say, the queen. <laughs> um, there's something to, if you think of the empresses encompassing both the mother and the queen, if the mother holds the stage of the journey that is um, seeing the value, the, the, um, the empirical value of whatever it is, the project that's going on and how that serves the self, the queen can represent another part of it that looks at how is this valuable to the realm? How is this valuable to the community? So let's just use the example of someone writing a book and that the mother's you know, got that nurturing part. The, the queen part of it can also see that this could be really important to have this book out there to serve the greater of humanity, to serve a community. So it's that look, it's the, it's the queen in a way is sort of like big mother. You know, she is not kin to the people that she's working, um, that she's there protecting and serving. She's more of a, a leader, um, responsible ruler who really has to pay attention and um, keep, keep watch over a larger group that she's not by family related to. There are very, they are different archetypes, but I personally see the queen as coming out of the mother being a derivation, you know, or an outcropping of the mother archetype, but different in there. The queen's not always that nurturing to begin right, with. Right. <laughs> very feminine, very powerful, very much the epitome of feminine leadership, which can also be lonely a little bit. Historically, actual queens and empresses had to be very careful of who they trusted because there was a lot of backstabbing and people trying to take the throne and even if that's not as much part of our lives now, archetypally, it's still kind of there. The, the Mainly women, but a few men that I've worked with that have this archetype, there's a sense of a little bit of a, a loneliness of sitting on the throne alone. It can be difficult to get the right team of people that they work with running a company or a team to get to trust, to have all of that working together. There's the metaphorical weight of the crown on one's that's head right. of that mm-hmm. responsibility. And a number of women um, that I've worked with, they don't really want to claim the archetype, even though they pretty much clearly have it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm cool with that. You know, just come around. But recognizing it can just can be a great relief, but it, it's a nice recognition of like, oh, no wonder I've always felt so responsible. Mm. And that's similar to the mother. But there is that, the marker of the distance between the people that they serve. And also the world is bigger the people you care for is much larger. It's not just a set of family. It's a larger group. And for some people, they feel responsible for the world to mm-hmm. be a leader. Mm-hmm. And that can be tough, too. 
there's something I find interesting about the Empress card here, this fem- feminine ruler coming before the Emperor card, which is card number four. I'm, I'm really interested in how that happened with the, the tarot cards. And I, I know that the cards are very linked also to their numerology. Mm. Uh, and the four being like the first square. Uh, so that that could serve that serves the emperor very well so it's it's interesting that the the empress comes first in this regard but i you know i don't i, I oh well, why do you think that is <laughs> my my sort of my feeling on that it would be the same way that you would have the mother and the father and then the 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 queen and then the king is if because let's just quickly go into the king and the father it's structure Mm-hmm. It's benevolent, it's leadership, but it's also very much about structure. So it doesn't make a lot of sense from any kind of evolutionary standpoint to not have something flourish and grow, but you know, and then you know, get pruned. You don't start by pruning and then let it That's grow. Right. right. So that would be how oh, to be my take on that. It doesn't it doesn't make sense from a growth point uh, perspective and the natural flow of the way things work. Yeah, that that makes total sense for what we're talking about here with that. Yeah. So just a kind of for me to sum up the the archetype of the queen is it's different from the mother's. The queen is benevolent, decisive, takes responsibilities for the choices that she makes in terms of her realm or her sphere of influence. So if you're a manager and you're running, you know, you've got a department that you take care of, you aren't just thinking about yourself. You're not just thinking about a few of your favorite people on your team. As the queen, you have to look at the effect on the team and the greater company at large. And it's it's really in, in terms of service to, you know, the the greater good. It can be mother-like, but there's there are some distinctions, I think, in terms of how the relationship works. I think a strong mother character who has a lot of queen sort of aspects but isn't quite the queen archetype could be the matriarch the old the oldest feminine in the family um, that's kind of a hybrid between the the two yeah themes that i'm seeing for for the empress uh, in the queen regard is how can the feminine what does it mean to have feminine power and also unlike the high priestess who is not married to the the Pope or the Hierophant, mm-hmm. they're two separate figures. The, the Empress is seen as the consort or, or serving by the side of the Emperor. So she also shows us how to co-rule or be sit on a throne with masculine energy and to, to keep that keep that balance, to mm-hmm. keep that equal. Uh, so that can that can be a very difficult structure struggle struggle that we've been seeing with women, you know, for past century right <laughs> or for centuries really but um depends on who you talk to but it's d- a really depends long on who you talk, but how you how you approach that as a woman i think is a very interesting and complex question true and i think in terms of a stage just really seeing both the um the mothers the the importance of how is the how is this valued and how is this important to the nurturance of the self with the mother and how is this important to the nurturance of the community for the queen and if you'd like i got some more movie ideas prepared please do please do (laughs) you know how i do okay so the queen 
The one I want to start out with is Erin uh, Brockovich, because it's a great example of both the queen and the mother. Erin Brockovich, starring Julia, Julia Roberts, there's another one of her films. Ooh, um, Julia Roberts. It is, I know. And, I'm, you know, I, I like her. Not a huge fan, but um, I really liked her in this uh, film based on a true story, Erin Brockovich. Is you know she's a single mom. She's unemployed. She gets a job at a law firm as a legal assistant, and really before even she knows what she's doing, she gets involved in the lawsuit where this town there, I believe, it was their water that had been um, poisoned by a local factory. And so the whole kind of trajectory of the film is her starting out as a mom, but where we really see her turn into the queen, and this can be kind of a, um, an issue for someone with the queen archetype who's also a mother who has children, is that she starts giving the attention to the case and to protecting the town and saving the town, and stuff starts going on with her kids and her, her boyfriend just helps take care of the kids. And that you will see over and over in films where there's a strong queen archetype, where it's about serving the people, even if mm. one has to leave their own physical children um, a little bit to the side or she, you know, because she, she's concentrating on serving the realm. And that does happen to a degree in Aaron Brockovich. And, you know, there's a scene in the film where, you know, she drives into town and everyone comes out as if the Queen of England just rolled into town. And mm. they just really honor her and they, you know, they they are so appreciative of what she's done. And she really stepped, I mean, she's kind of dressed like a hooker. They must have the film, quite <laughs> frankly. You're just not, you don't think of Helen Mirren in The Queen <laughs> when you see her. But just the way she acts and the way her whole body language and everything changes, she's embodying that the, the, archetype of the queen. Some of the other examples are a little more obvious. The Elizabeth films with Kate Blanchett. And then for kind of those are sort of more on the positive light side of, of the queen archetype. And probably the easiest ones to see the evil queen. We all kind of grew up with evil queens in fairy tales with mm -hmm. Snow White, um, with the evil stepmother who's the queen, and of course the the Red Queen off with her head in, in Alice in Wonderland. And there's just, just some actresses who are just, they have, they have such a strong queen archetype that they always get cast as queens, but they do it so well. And I'm thinking of Judi Dench, mm -hmm. Dame Judi Dench, and mm -hmm. uh, Helen Mirren, of course, and Kate Blanchett. They really can, they really do embody that regal feminine. And that's another quality that's different from the mother and the queen. There's the sense of the queenly, the, the regal. This sort of slightly at a distance, but um, definitely holding themselves sort of apart, but also being very responsible and somewhat serious. Mm. Oh, thank you so much for exploring that queen archetype. And, you know, if you do a, do a tarot spread, the queen is surely to come up not only with the empress, but throughout the minor arcana as well. Mm -hmm. the, the queens are popping up quite a lot because there's one for each suit. Mm -hmm. Definitely a very relevant and reoccurring theme in our lives and in the cards. So I think we kind of covered these two big, important feminine um, archetypes for this podcast. The next one uh, will, the next episode of the Archetypal Tarot podcast will be on the father, the emperor card, which covers the father and the king, sort of our the other the other half of this set of 
um, balanced masculine and feminine archetypes. Right, and he got a bit of foreshadowing in this podcast, but ladies first. But ladies first, definitely. (laughs) So um, I look forward to exploring that with you, Julianne. Likewise. It's always a good time talking with you, Sundara. Yeah. All right, so we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us for the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. Our next episode explores the Emperor card. Find out more about how the Father and the King archetypes can help bring structure, protection, and strength to your dreams and goals. For more information on Sendera's work, please visit her website at tarotdreamstone.com. For more information on Archetype Consulting, please visit archetypist.com. That's A-R-C-H-E-T-Y-P-I-S-T dot com. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, please send us an email, atpodcast at archetypist.com. Thanks so much for listening.